Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so the preseason trundles on as we reach the, the twilight zone between the initial excitement of the games reopening and the opening fixtures of the Premier League for this campaign, with game week one a literal international breakaway. Unfortunately, there's no Nick this week due to family commitments, but we're more than compensated for his absence on this edition as we're joined by the loveliest people in the FPL universe. It's our long-term oh. friends, Lee and Sam Bonfield, <laughs> better than his FPL family, who you can find everywhere and anywhere, of course. Hello both, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. Very good, yes. How are you? Very good, thank you. It's unusual. Yeah, very unusual. Normally, just Nick just keeps going. Yeah, it's like was completely taken off. Just what a reciprocal question. The thing is, when we, whenever we go on any other podcast or anything else, I don't know people as well as I know you. So I'm just like, oh yeah, hi, we're Lee and Sam, and we. Yeah. Whereas if it's you, I'm just like, yeah, I'm right. You're right. You good? Oh, what are you asking me a question for? All good, all good. Very good, very good to have you on. Not had you on for a little while. Not seen each other for a while, have we? I mean, we used to. Kind of uh, Leonidas, we used to go out for a drink like, every couple of months, something like that. So it's been a yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a weird period, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah we yeah, miss our summer meetups and the summer meetups, the odd beer that we used to have in town. Yeah, we miss it to be fair, but um, you know, I think we're slowly getting used to the new normal, and, and life seems to be getting back to something towards normality. So uh, so yeah, we'll be hopefully it'll come again. We'll come again. We'll come around when it. Yeah. Oh yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, great to have you on anyway. Yeah, absolute pleasure to have you on, guys. So this is the Unwritten Rules pod, and the Unwritten Rules of FPL, it's a staple, really, of the WGTA preseason calendar at this point. Um, what it does is it gives us a chance to consider the the basic advice that is applicable to any and many game weeks of the season, as well as to consider some of the FPL management habits that people like us FPL content producers are espousing all the time on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you may be. So this pod is interesting in that every season it definitely sparks debate on the airwaves and also on the social feeds so definitely looking forward to kicking into it but for now anyway just to remind you all that you're listening to who got the assist we have a lot of new listeners who are coming aboard at the moment so welcome to all of you please subscribe to hear our natterings all season long if that's what you want to hear and to our returning listeners welcome back again if you have a chance please do review the pod but not while driving or swimming because we have at least one confirmed listener in the pool right now so yeah <laughs> Cool. All right. Yeah. So as Stag said, it's the Unwritten Rules podcast. We've done this uh, yearly for the last few years. We actually did this with Anthony back when he was a guest. And we'll see a famously did one with Neil Murray last year. Um, but 
this time, I guess we've kind of made a, a little bit of a spin on it. We've identified five-ish unwritten rules, and with Lee and Sam today, as opposed to dictating rules we've done in the past, we'll be coming at it from a slightly different angle. Now, we'll be looking at those rules that Anthony mentioned. You'll see them everywhere, and you know, people will kind of say in answer to the questions, oh, I'll do this, do that. And we'll be asking the question, how much do we believe these? How much do we think that they are valid um, as FPL kind of advice points, I suppose, as unwritten rules? These rules will sound familiar to listeners of all experience levels of FPL, but I'm sure the debate will inform ad colours to what can otherwise be fairly kind of anodyne adages. Uh, these rules are form over fixtures, caps and obvious, target whipping boys, information is more important than 0.1 million, and don't leave decisions till the last minute. I guess also there's some kind of underlying themes like caps and choice, uh, managing the market, managing yourself that we can tap into along the way. I guess let's start with the very first one, which is always this kind of form over fixtures debate. I guess the underlying point is do we pick players and make transfers based on one or the other how do we kind of see it is it always true uh lee and sam what, what do you guys think about this are, are you guys both kind of united on one or is there kind of a, an ongoing sort of fissure between the two of you with regards to which is more important well it's, it's kind of the, the fundamental paradigm of, of fpl isn't it form over fixtures uh, to be honest it's form and fixtures isn't it i think i, I must admit if i think back to how i've played the game over the years I'm probably more of a fixtures man, to be honest with you. I kind of look at the upcoming fixtures and I think, well, that's a nice game, that's a nice game. But the more that I've kind of played the game in more recent times, certainly since we've formed FPL Family and you've beaten me every year, <laughs> I've started to look a bit more at form and start to try and find some form in the underlying stats. So I would say historically I'm more fixtures, but I, I, you have to find a balance between the two, don't you? Is that, that, is that your feeling on it? Um, yeah, and I think I've probably done it in reverse of what you've just said. So I think in the past, I'd have just gone with, well, that guy's in form, I'll bring him in. And then since we started the FPL family, it's been a bit more kind of fixture-driven. And I do, I do love a fixture ticker and to look at, you know, targeting the guys that are at the top of it. So I think for me, the fixtures lead my decisions, but I, I'm always looking for at least some signs, be it just the eye test, doesn't necessarily have to be that they've been kind of hitting the mark with FPL points, but as long as there's been something that's going to suggest that they might do well, then that's fine. It's kind of fixture-led, but there has to be a little bit of something else that goes alongside it for I, me. I, I would totally agree with you on the eye test thing. I think in, in seasons past, if I go back sort of five or six years before FPL family, you know, I'd, I'd watch Liverpool and I'd watch Spurs and, and that was kind of it. I wouldn't take much interest in some of the other games um, unless I had a lot of FPL players playing in them. But they were kind of, the game would be on in the background or I'd be on my phone or I'd be doing something else. But since FPL family taking more of an interest in the, you know, the, the non-Liverpool and Spurs games and mm. watching Man United closer or watching Arsenal closer, um, I feel like that's probably why form has started to... Mm take more of a uh, take more of a role in my decision making so i guess something that i would consider is maybe the value of the player that we're talking about and that for elite and maybe mid-priced players especially with attackers it's it's form first for me whereas when i'm chasing maybe for those players fixtures do come into it far more i think i captained aguero last year when he was had no form at all because he was coming back from injury and it worked a treat so you know that sort of thing can happen but then when you've got cheaper players you know uh, for me, anyway, you you have your form lock-ins that are within your team if they're cheap. They're kind of clear. Your Lundstrom last season, your Doherty the season before. But there yeah. is always that space for one or two gambles on fixtures in your team. So I'm talking about uh, the Iosi Perez part of your team. You know, there's that perfect slot there that you could be gambling maybe. Would you agree on that? 
I think so, yeah. I think it's, it's absolutely worth having somebody in there that's a bit of a differential. You've got to make the game fun, haven't you? Yeah, it's, and it's I... worth having somebody in there that you think, okay, fixtures well, might not have a bit of form, but the fixtures are there for him to get some form. Yeah, and that's, I mean, for me, that was some Maximan during Project Restart. He was oh, a yeah, player that was, there was, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And there wasn't really, because obviously we didn't have the form there, but the fixtures looked good for Newcastle. And there was a lot of FPL managers writing them off on the basis that they were just going to go into mid-table nothingness. And I felt with him that there was just something there. It was also to do with the lack of form of the opponents yeah. as well, wasn't it? So yeah, I remember yeah. you saying... Um, the fixtures are nice. The fixtures are nice. And I think he was going to the vitality, wasn't he, to Bournemouth when he got those three assists in one game. Mm. And you were just Legend. like, really, really, you know, I, th- I think you even mentioned, you know, you know, I fancy him to be my top point scorer this week. Mm. Or uh, he's going to do really well because Bournemouth were like criminally out of form. They were dead and buried. And St. Max was just starting to show a bit of form. And it, it just hit the perfect apex. Mm. Form and fixture there in, in for St Max against against Bournemouth. That is a yeah, that's a key highlight for you, yeah, I guess, was, on yeah. last season. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess the price point there is also was really important to also link in Stag's point because I think that going for these sort of cheaper players like St Max, who you can take a punt on, perhaps those are the ones which are more fixture orientated. Um, I think that I saw one uh, Eric Freeman did an article about lock and snap today. We call that shuffling the deck chairs, the kind of casual transfer. You're moving kind of one six point five million midfielder mm. around to an, uh, yeah. for another. You do that week to week, don't you? And it's it's pretty par for the course. It's, it's a standard transfer, you know. You'll see that on Twitter all the time. And there's some exceptions, of course, with these players. Like St. Max, if he does that all year this year and becomes a new Riyad Mahrez of a new Michu at 5.5, and absolutely brilliant. But often I'm really happy to sell the cheaper guys and just hope my twist sort of pays off. You know, the punt comes through for me. But the premiums are a completely different story, aren't they? For, for me, at least. Like uh, selling them or anyone kind of vaguely expensive, that feels like a proper event to me. That feels like a real thing. And for, and for me, I often spend kind of weeks, uh, game weeks, that is, geeing myself up and thinking, yeah, you know, he's got to do, he's got fail this many times before I get rid of him and I always admire people you know at late risers really good example here he is always ballsy enough to kind of spot it around with the premiums um when a lot of people are kind of kind of saying right I'm going to wait for another week and there was a bit of advice by Joshua Bull on premiums the guy won last year who said let the variants work for you and leave them there I mean this year we've got so many that we might end up kind of swapping them around too but do you think that do you think that's going to be a thing this year, Tom? I mean, I, I totally get you and that kind of that six point five bracket. You don't mind switching mm. them in and out and, and playing with them a little bit. Do you feel like that mentality might be taken into the premium bracket this year, given the way that they're priced and, and the options that we've got, especially in midfield? I don't know because I think my ultimate thinking here with, with this form over fixtures thing is what's the whole the holy grail FPL wise? I think there's two words that describe this: fixture proof. If a player is fixture-proof, they are both form and fixture, as we said right at the top. That was the first thing you said. And if we kind of zero in on a couple of premiums that are pretty much fixture-proof, we've already identified them perhaps already. Maybe the likes of Salah, maybe the likes of KDB do repeat the same sort of seasons we've seen. That will kind of mean that you get some differential points out of messing around and putting in your Mane's, putting in your Sterling's. But to some extent, if a player is continuing to perform... I don't really see why you'd be removing them. And if they are fixture-proof in the same way those two characters are, um, I think that we kind of maybe overstating the amount of movement that could happen, even though there are lots of options in the bracket. It's, it's, it's so frustrating, though, isn't it, when your premiums that you do have don't get you the points you expect. So your 6.5, if you have a bit of a shuffle round and they don't bring in the points, you think, ah, oh, okay, well... I've had a bit of a punt there and that hasn't paid off, or in a St. Maximan case, it obviously does pay <laughs> yeah. off. But when your premiums don't pay off, 
it is like you you just feel inclined that you just, you just feel so much more like you want to swap them out. And I, and I think we're going to see my view managers be far more fickle. And I, I get what you're saying about late riser and you're chasing the upside and all the rest of it. And I, that's a, that's a really nice positive spin on it. The negative spin on it is you're just going to be chasing points around on, on a merry-go-round. So late riser, I think has got a nice strategy that works for him, but I think you've got to be very careful with it. Yeah, I think last season we saw that there is there's always an element of sticking with players for too long, and we saw that with Vardy, right? So many managers, he went on that amazing run. We yes. were on board on that Vardy party, and then kind of Christmas here, and the baby arrived, and all of a sudden it was like nothing for ages, and we all kind of just stuck with him on the basis that but he's been really good, and it's how long do you mm. allow a player to stay in your team on the basis that they've been really good when they're yeah, loyalty yeah <laughs> yeah and I, and I think you know there was an element for me last season of being too loyal it was the same with it was with Vardy it was the same uh, with Danny Ings it was the same with a few of the players in my teams and it was just a couple of game weeks too long so I think those players weren't necessarily players where the fixtures looked good and therefore I was keeping them but I was keeping them on the basis of prior form and that's not necessarily always a good way to play the game. So I think that's a, that's been a learning point for me going mm. into this season is that, you know, when when we get a couple of weeks in and, and a player who has been doing well suddenly stops doing well, but there's other options in that bracket, it's no, there's no bad, it's, you know, it's not a bad thing to move on, particularly this year when the players are all priced at roughly the same point. So it is going to be easier to move around without having to worry about, oh, well, can I afford to bring them back in again if I want to take so, them so, out? so dangerous though, that. It's so dangerous that, and like for example, and I think we're going to get it as early as game week three, right? You're going to see a Bamiang in more or less every draft for game week one. It's a very popular pick, right? Fulham and West Ham first two games, and people are already lining up a Sterling or a, or a KDB to come in in, K, in in game week three. You just know like, a is a sort of player mm. against so you talking about that Tom second the fixture proofness of some mm. of these players. A is is clearly one of those players, right? Yeah. And he's he'll punish you. Take him out. He's going to punish you. And then okay, maybe De Bruyne gets an assist or nothing, or Sterling comes in and blanks, and all of a sudden you're back on the merry-go-round of trying to chase those points again. So, listen, it, it, I can I can see it happening a lot. I can see a lot of frustration in that premium midfield bracket where there's so many options with the Bamiang and Rashford and all the reclassified forwards now. So I guess maybe to tie up this particular point, I think what we've definitely concluded is that what you're paying for is a fixture-proof player when you're paying for an elite player. And when they don't succeed for you, it probably hurts you more. I think one aspect that maybe we haven't discussed and why that hurts more is because the other premium assets tend to be owned by a lot of people. If you've got Aguero, a lot of other people have Kane. If you have Salah, a lot of other people have Mane, Son, Bamiang this season at midfield, whatever. So I think that's probably why it hurts more when the other premium players return and your one doesn't, because the fact of the matter is that there's just so many more options at 5.5, 6.0, whatever, that just there isn't as many people saying, oh, I've got him and you don't, ha ha ha, on Twitter. And that's kind of the, <laughs> the pain for all of us. Um, and so I guess with that, then the lower the price, the more fixtures alone maybe becomes acceptable or certainly where form isn't necessarily the guiding principle for us. And maybe we didn't say it at all, but I think maybe those points could be definitely really emphasized for defenders where form might come into it for your premium assets because you're thinking about attacking whereas fixtures really come into it for your cheaper defensive assets because you're like i hope he gets a clean, yeah. that brighton defender oh, yeah. gets a clean sheet i hope so and that's about the most you can hope for with your 4.5s or even your 4.0s or whatever i think that that pretty much ties up that discussion that we've had there on form and fixtures pretty well i think 
Yeah. So I guess how how much do we agree with this rule then? Um, in in terms of it, it sounds like as Stag said, it's a, a kind of the search for fixture proofness. Uh, if a player does turn out to be fixture proof, then obviously love him and leave him. Um, but it really seems to be down to the level of investment in a player um, whether you do kind of think that he is susceptible to being moved around the fixture. I think it's a good point for Bamiyang actually. Um, I think we will see in game week three uh, probably maybe a bit, of a, a bit of a kind of division in the community depending on how he does in Fulham and West Ham of course mm. um, in terms of what happens because I always see these sort of uh, uh, these uh, kind of uh, highfalutin moves to kind of say you know what I'm going to buy this guy in game week one I'm going to move him out for him and then put in someone else in game week three and I'll have two free transfers in game week four and I'll do this and I'll do that and you're kind of thinking well actually if, if Bamiyang scores two braces are you still going to be doing that? Really? Yeah, right. Really? Yeah, there's, there's people already like, regardless of what he does in the first two game weeks, he's out of my team because I desperately want a Man City player. Well, listen, what do you do if, if you've got a Bamiang and Salah and Salah blanks first two? No points against Leeds or whatever, right? And then all of a sudden you've got a lot of people going off a of Salah in game week three. There's going to be some angst, I think, amongst <laughs> the midfield premiums. I really do. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of game week one, when there is no form and you've mentioned kind of your approaches to the restart but I mean do we always pick established players then if there's no form do we kind of think well okay they've got form in that over the last kind of two or three seasons in the Premier League they've they've done something I think earlier on we spoke about kind of how many punts you have in your team as well um how do you think form and fixtures as it were apply to apply to Capri game at one because I'm sure there's an element of kind of you know, the fixtures we said in last week's probably really important in kind of changing how you deal with uh, the players and what, which ones you're interested in and to tag on to that what value do you put in pre-season returns let's say Timo Werner scoring against Brighton at the, week, Ooh, at the weekend question. yeah good question um, so the pre-season I kind of pay lip service to I guess I kind of look at what's going on with them in pre-season and think you know yeah, Werner scored there or, you know, Sun's got quite a lot for Spurs during pre-season. And so, you know, that's great. But they're playing against a lot lesser opposition than they're going to play in the Premier League. Oh, Werner scored against Brighton. Right? I mean, that's slightly different. But, you know, when you look at Spurs, they're playing, they've played Ipswich and, and, and Birmingham. And it's not, you know, I'm, we should be beating those teams by three or four goals. So I'm not surprised to see Sonny... Um, and Deli Ali and all of that to the Spurs attacking players return in those games. Werner with um, against Brighton that is different because obviously it's another Premier League side. So you kind of get a little bit more of a hint as to what that might mean in terms of the quality that they have moving forward. But I think for me, when I'm picking my teams for game week one, I don't tend to look back on you know the form that they've had in pre-season or in this case, the form that they had at the end of Project Restart, it's more to do with their pedigrees as players in the game, um, as holding points, because they're, you basically want to set your team up in the best way possible, don't you, going forward for a couple of game weeks at least. So you're looking for players that have got a degree of um, something about them with a couple of punts, I guess, in there, a couple of cheap, but they tend to be cheaper. Now, in the Chelsea case, it's really interesting because suddenly we've got basically a whole new side to pick from over there um and they're expensive a lot of them you know we're talking about not cheap assets in the likes of of Werner so they are a bit more risky I think but then you look at what they were doing previously at their previous clubs and, and they feel like they're still fairly safe it's just we haven't yet seen that translate into the to the Premier League but I think for me it's it's fixtures primarily but the form kind of their long-term form, I guess, and what they did prior the whole of last season. Like, I'm going with Salah because 
why wouldn't you on the are basis you, are of you, that are you more so you're mostly fixtures but are you more form at the beginning of this season based on the fact that we've only had a short summer um, so a lot of those players that we saw in form in like june and july where we never see any football yeah. If they've shown a bit of form there, can they carry that form into sort of early September? I mean, I would I would expect there to be a bit more continuation this season because the break yeah, has maybe, been yeah. shorter. Yeah, but then equally, will they run out of steam quicker? Because they haven't had that, you know, we saw a burst from a lot of players sort of later on in Project Restart once they got their legs going again. Will we have a drop off around Christmas time because they haven't had a long summer break? And yeah, and I guess in Project Research, you could say as well, we saw other teams die as it went on, having had their burst initially, let's say the whole Manchester United squad, you could probably say. Okay, let's, we'll, we'll move on from this uh, form over fixtures debate and move on towards Captain Obvious. But I think our conclusion really on the form over fixtures debate is really that broadly we're talking about fixtures being the key thing when it's a you know, very replaceable, low price part. Uh, part of our team whereas it, it's form then for the the key players um, but price is obviously going to play into that to an extent with your your Salas your Manes your KTBs whatever so Captain Obvious and that kind of feeds into really of the who we thought were obvious picks and who were fixture proof initially going on um, in the previous point it is like do you just captain the obvious player in your team week in week out do you take risks should you ever captain a defender what are your thoughts on that guys so my, so my view with captains is I, I tend to play it quite safe. I tend to, and I say tend to, because I, you I go rogue to, at the end of the season. You're trying to beat me. I do. I sort <laughs> of get, I get sort of uh, yeah. I need to catch up here, so I go a bit rogue towards the end of the season. I tend to have a bit more fun with it. But typically, um, to start with, I will I will tend to pick um, a safe and obvious captain. Yeah, with a good uh, fixture. With with a good fixture. Yeah, absolutely. And if, and if I've seen a bit of form pre-season, I actually disagree with what you were saying before about, you, you know, you don't look quite so much at the pre-season form. I do, because that's all we've really got to go on as mm-hmm. we come into the new season. So if I see a, a Werner scoring on his Chelsea debut, or if I see an Aubameyang whipping one in in the Community Shield, that's somebody that I might want to captain in game week one. And I absolutely am considering captaining Aubameyang in game week one against Fulham. So I think I'm afraid to say, uh, Stag, I'm a little bit boring from that perspective in terms of <laughs> I, I will go fairly sensible with my captaincies, and I, and I don't I don't know why that is. Is it is it because uh, I would you know if you if Salah's at home or Aubameyang's at home and you don't captain him and you go someone a bit different is it and, it, and it doesn't pay off, you're like you know what what was I th- what was I doing there? That was a ridiculous move. And um, of course if it does pay off, you're on you know, you're on Twitter and all your social media talking about what a great FPL manager you are. But <laughs> the reality is uh, there's there's a lot more downside there because of the ownership of some of these more obvious captains. Yeah. If you don't do it, it it's it's gonna really hurt your rank. So uh, yeah, maybe I need to maybe I need to be a bit less fearful of the obvious captain. Yeah, and you know what as well, like a lot of the time I think it is using these sort of negative sort of connotations as well. It's really boring. It's, it's, I've got fear so I'm doing it. A lot of the time actually, it's just the obvious choice. So why wouldn't you? It's like, can you yeah, overthink sure. it because yeah. you're so much more engaged with it? Like, I think we said kind of at the end of last season, I messed up so many times last season just because I, I fell prey to this. You know, I was trying to get the captain pick, you know, trying to be all clever about it. And last year, only seven out of 38 times did I get the captain pick right. I don't mean 
mean as in I should have captained Lundstrom or something like that. I mean going with KDB and I should have captained Sterling or something like that in my yeah, team every yeah. week. It was so bad. I think we've got 494 captaincy points. They make or break game weeks, don't they? And even seasons as well. Like it is, yeah, it's, yeah. it's incredible. Like looking at my captain choices versus a lot of other players. You know, the FPL review thing was going around a little while on Twitter. Like I basically matched so many people, except they got 200 more points than me because of the captains. I've been really thinking about this over the summer, guys, a little bit. And it's sort of thing that I do, sit there thinking about FPL while you guys are having <laughs> lives. I'm sitting there. And I realised that I think I'm, because I'm so into this ownership stuff and so into kind of thinking about differential caption every week. I, I'm the same. I'm, maybe I go the other way to you, Lee, and I kind of consciously go for kind of the second choice or something like that. But I think the epiphany I had was that you can look at your captaincy as a captain point on the week score, right? And I think it's boring that everyone's got the 30-pointer and kind of think, oh, I don't want to do that. You know, I want to do something better and get 35 points or whatever. We can't do that at 34. Um, maybe a better way of looking at it is to look at it and think that those 30 points contribute to your season total. And week to week, everybody, you know, everybody is going to kind of do different things to you. But ownership isn't always the same owners. You should maybe zoom out and just think... The template captain, just just go with it because it go those points go into your piggy bank for the whole year, mm-hmm. and it's never boring to get thirty points at the end of the day. As they said, you know, you jump on Twitter, you're like, yeah, you know, I got the captain right. That's not boring. That's great. So, <laughs> I uh, I think maybe it is a case of kind of just trying to keep it simple, really, for me this year because I think I've just been a bit of an idiot uh, in the past kind of year or so, and that's that's just really cost me. It really has, like the amount of times I've just not overlooked the obvious captain just because I've been trying to be too clever. Tom described himself there as an idiot um, en route to getting 494 captain points. So me as somebody who got 474 captain points, um, feeling really great about that. But I think a bit like Tom, I maybe overcomplicated things at times, especially in the latter half of the season when I was chasing. I was, you know, taking fairly maverick moves week in, week out with the captaincy just to try and catch up. But that did lead to me getting between one and six points from my captain, 17 out of the 38 game weeks which is um, pretty appalling. But I guess it says that, you know, I, I certainly had a few really good captaincies in there to get to 474 captaincy points in total. <laughs> um, so I, I think it, the, the captain obvious dogma is definitely something I'm going to be subscribing to as much as possible anyway in these first 10 weeks of the season and see where it gets me because I don't think I've done it consistently at all before now. I think this was one of the first seasons where I've actually been captain obvious with my captain decisions. Like I haven't really taken any risks with it. I've had differential picks in my team and they've been my risk. And I've kind of gone, you know, I'm bringing in St. Max. He's massively differential. I'll captain the obvious player in this game Mm. because if Salah bangs at home, which he will, and, you know, as they're about to be champions, everyone's got those points. I've got those points, but I've also got the benefit of my differential player to boost me up. And I kind of went that way this year. And were you protecting rank a little bit? Though? No, no. Because you were in the upper echelon for most well, of the season. So there's that. There's that. There, is, there is an element of that, I guess. Right. Yeah. But I think for me, like I, this, normally I'm a mover when it comes to my armbands. It moves around. It doesn't stay on one person for long periods of time. But this season it stayed on Jamie Vardy for like weeks and weeks and weeks on end because his form was great, the fixtures were good and I was fairly sure that game after game there was going to be some return from him. And I I kind of feel like with the captaincy I've taken not less of an interest in it but my my realisation with it is that it has less of an impact on 
my overall rank than getting my differentials and my cheap player picks right uh, because everybody owns these guys and the high percentage of cap- people are going to captain them so I've been safe and steady with my captain picks the only time that I felt that I took an educated gamble on my captain pick was when I played my triple captain because I felt that that was a time where it, there was just slightly more to gain from it going well so I went with Firmino over Mane and over Salah. Oh, I remember, yes. Um, and that went well. I mean, actually, longer term, from my stress levels, it went well, because Firmino obviously got the goal in the first of the Liverpool double games <laughs> that week. Um, but longer term, I mean, really, I should have gone with Salah. He scored more over the course of the two games. However... Everyone was, else went Mane. So everyone right. else went Mane, <laughs> so it worked out well for me. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I think I am in the captain obvious camp, and, and it's it's gone well for me this season so it's going to be something I continue with next year too. I think it's worth giving voice though to kind of the individuals who I guess do go and get those fantastic caps and scores and it does happen and obviously it is a good thing at times if that does come through for you um, so one of the good weeks I had last year was when I obviously it's not a differential captain really but I captain Bruno and everybody else was on KDB and they won 5-0 and you got an assist somehow um, so if that does work out for you then great and you do see the occasional person on Twitter popping up and being like oh my god you never guess what I captained Jared Bowen this week and I got two assists and a goal <laughs> but I mean that, those sorts of things happen so few and far between and to be honest most yeah. people if they do go for a mad captain you don't hear from them again until the next week because what, what happened was they completely blanked it out I, I, Again, we use all these negative words, boring, you know, it's so kind of, you know, it's so staid, it's so obvious. But I mean, we, we, I think we've had this rule a couple of years. And I think it's just so true that the obvious captains are obvious for a reason. You can overthink it so hard. I often just think, you know, what does my cousin do when he does captains? He just looks at the best player for that week and just goes, yeah, right, I'm going to captain him because I've spent 12 million on him and he's got a good fixture. I don't think it actually needs to, any more thought than that, does it really? And you get the good outcomes, you cover your own back. I don't know. I just think more and more when we look at this sort of rule, I agree completely. Zoom out, keep it risk free. If Salah versus Fulham, whatever, doesn't pay off, it's genuinely a case, as I've said, of being like, were you happy with that decision? Yes, of course I was. Rather mm. than hindsighting yourself into thinking, yeah, I've made a terrible mistake there. Because it's just not the case, is it? Keep it obvious and I think you'll be all right. Would you make a transfer to get Captain Obvious into your team? So let's say there's a really plum fixture for Arsenal coming up. We've all gone off the boil on Arsenal a little bit. But Aubameyang, he's been, you know, returning a little well, but not well enough, let's say, compared to Sterling, De Bruyne, Salah, etc. Are you going to get Aubameyang in at all costs, no matter what, even for a hit? That time of the season, you've got a bit of form, you have some data to consider, you have some form to consider I guess if you want to look at it like that do you do it not for me um I am firmly in the no hits unless it's absolutely essential and to bring in a player I don't make those decisions based upon oh he's got one really nice fixture where I could captain him because there will be someone out of my other 11 players that has a nice fixture that I can captain so it's not worth losing another big premium for that one week. I mean, I I did it in the final game week of the season, lost Salah. Actually, that was a good thing because he didn't play and brought in Sterling, but it was kind of like, I had nothing to lose on that basis. It was the final game week of the season. It's game week 38, yeah. So it doesn't matter. But in, if you know, sometimes you look at a player and and I, so I had it at the start of last season um, and I didn't own Sterling and everybody owned Sterling and everyone was going into game week one with, I'm captain in Sterling. And I was sat on it thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be a disaster. I'm going to be going to have to do a live stream on Sunday with like no points and everyone else is Captain Sterling and I'm just going to have a disaster. Um, And I knew that was going to happen, but I kept looking at my team thinking, but that team looks better without him for the rest 
of the game weeks that follow and yeah. I kind of went with it on the basis that I knew it might hurt me but I had other captain possibilities for that first game week and it was an okay game week I think it was around about average everyone else was away above but the subsequent game weeks because I had the players that I wanted ended up being really really good game week so I won't take a hit for somebody for one game week if I, if I got suddenly a really lovely run of fixtures then I might think about it. But I wouldn't do it for just one game. No, it depends who you're taking out as well, doesn't it? Yeah. It depends who you're going to lose. I mean, I'm a big believer in, exactly as you said, a hit for, uh, if a player's coming into form and they've got good fixtures, if if, the, if I look at it and I think, actually, I am going to want this guy longer term, yeah, yeah I think it's a hit. A hit's justified. But I, I try and steer away from, you know, he's got a great fixture and he seems to be in form and I want to captain him that, that game week. So I'm definitely going to take a hit for mm. him, yeah. Yeah, so you guys are definitely not subscribing to that school of thought, which is, oh, you're bringing in the elite player, then you better captain him to make it worth it. You know, this, <laughs> this is something you see on Twitter every so often. It's a fairly infuriating one. Oh, there's the uh, the notorious example of Harry Kane at home versus Cardiff. Uh, remember that? When uh, Eric Dyer scored the goal in the 17th minute and that was the only goal of the game. And loads of people oh, yeah. hit that week because everyone's like, oh yeah, he's going to absolutely destrory them. You've got to own him. He had, I think he had a really bad run after that. So people were like, going to hit him in, he's going to pay me back and I'll get rid of him and take another hit to move the money around. And uh, yeah, I think that's probably the one that always sticks out in my mind, although it's anecdotal, about why you probably shouldn't be doing that. Um, although sometimes, you know, it can be, again, going back to the captain thing, effective ownership being everywhere. You just sometimes look at it and just think, oh, uh, Sam was saying, oh, God, you know, everyone seems to be going for this guy. Oh, I'm, I'm a bit worried about it now. But more often than not, if we don't do anything, you come out looking better um, a lot of the time. You can take a hit for a player like that, and the guy you've removed does a lot better. I think we've all been there too. Did any of us take a hit for Shane Duffy, though, in that double game? Oh, dog guys! <laughs> <laughs> no! I thought I'd get through a whole part of it coming off. Just wondering whether anybody took a hit for Shane Duffy on the podcast. I, I seem to remember that we didn't we didn't captain him or anything. Did, did anybody triple captain him, him by any chance? No. <laughs> I think that might have just been you. Yeah, well, I just remember um, our friend FPL Khan, he captained him that week, but then forgot or didn't get a ch- around to changing his captaincy the next week. And Duffy goes and gets a clean sheet and he ended up getting, you know, six points, you know, double to 12. And I think my captain the next week ended up with like eight. So I was like, oh, my word, like someone ended up with a Duffy captaincy working. <laughs> it was just uh, the worst. All right. So make obvious captains, but don't captain Shane Duffy. Nice. All right. And the final one for this little section then, um, and it's kind of one I think that you'll hear more and more as the season wears on rather than something at the beginning, although perhaps there are some candidates already, uh, but target the whipping boys. Um, I think we've kind of mentioned uh, St. Max having a good set of fixtures, for example, and of course a huge example of uh, Mikhail Antonio against Norwich last year uh, with those four goals. Um, but I-, I wonder whether this is one that's always kind of one to bear in mind throughout the season because you have teams which do kind of rise and fall a lot so for example Watford at the start of last season they, they began abysmally and they were a fantastic source of FPL points and maybe it is a case that sometimes fixtures do override form a bit if you do have sort of uh, games like this coming up and I mentioned there are maybe a couple of teams out there uh, one maybe is Fulham sorry Cottages um, I hope you don't do a Fulham this year but you might um, in the championship last year Fulham allowed 164 shots on target 3.5 shots per game but they won the championship with that uh, in 2018-19 the same defence allowed 227 shots on target just under 6 shots per game so uh, on target per game that is so that's uh, that's pretty mad and uh, the other one is Crystal Palace um, so lots of players there are on the last year of the contract lots of 
their central defenders are pretty old. To, well, I say that they're my age, <laughs> but yeah, pretty old in football in terms. Um, but last year, season long, they were tenth for expected goals conceded, so just in the middle of the pile. But that hopped up all the way to fifth in the restart period. Could go either way, of course. You know, they could have been on the beach. They didn't really care. But I just wonder if that aging squad uh, with loads of players who like they are going to depart after this year, whether it's a step too far for them. So yeah, a couple of a uh, couple of uh, potentials there. And we are maybe for you, Captain Aubameyang, uh, be going with this game we won, won't we, against Fulham? So, I mean, target whipping boys. What do we think about that? We spoke before on the first rule about finding the apex of form and fixtures, and that being one of the kind of um, the essences of FPL. Well, I think there's a third apex in there, if you can have a third apex, I don't know. Uh, but there's another angle there, which is, yeah, target the whipping boys. It's something that I've tried to do a lot more, certainly in the last couple of seasons. Um, it's, it's difficult to do at first, because what I tend to do and like to do is to target the whipping boys based on some data, based on some underlying stats of you know them allowing a lot of shots in the box or crosses from a certain side or whatever. And of course, in the first few game weeks, we don't really have much of a sample size of data to base any of that on. So as we get into the season, particularly if we get into the end of the season, mm. yeah, for sure. And you, and you start getting into the realms of not only they're whipping boys, but maybe they're about to be relegated. Maybe mm. there's teams that are already relegated, um, you know, going back to the Bournemouth example from last yeah. season. So uh, this is this is a rule that, yeah, I absolutely do believe in. Um, you know, find the form and fixture player for sure. And if 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 he's got to play a whipping boy as well, Perfect. That's mm. absolute captain material. Yeah, I, th- I just think for me, it's nice, but it's not something that I actively go out and seek because obviously oh, okay. they're not going to play the whipping boys every week. So unless you're planning to bring in a player and then transfer them out for whoever's playing that side next week, it's not necessarily something that's sustainable over a long period of time. But if you're looking for a good captainable player or you're looking at a player that's um, you know, making decisions about which premium assets you're going to own or even which differentials you're going to own and potentially even more so with the differentials because you're more likely to be able to kind of freely move them around in your side and they might come and go for a couple of game weeks here and there. So it's at that point when I'm deciding on those kind of players in my team that I'll look at the whipping boys and think, you know, like in Project Restart, as you say, it was mostly Bournemouth, wasn't it? Whoever's playing Bournemouth, I want to own somebody from that side because defensively they've gone to absolute pot over the last few game weeks so it was kind of looking for those those players but equally it wasn't kind of taking priority in my mind if there happened to be a player in good form that was going to play them and I could see that there'd be value for having him in my team longer term but I don't want to do it just for a one week kind of punt. You're you're quite right with that in that I remember actually we had a pod which I think we titled uh, Operation Target Bournemouth during the lockdown uh, <laughs> games. And it was basically advocating um, captaining Jamie Vardy against Bournemouth. Uh, Q, Bournemouth 4, Leicester 1. Yeah. Uh, so if only got the goal, though, it's fine. Yeah, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a five-pointer, if I remember correctly, in the end for him. Uh, but I think, Lee, you've made a good point as well when you're talking about the, the dangers of maybe having a preordained whipping boy before the start of the season or whipping boy whip, whipping boy team. Like um, In that, you know, we were talking about Fulham here for Arsenal in game week one, but remember a few seasons ago, Hull were going into game week one with I think it was 13 players senior players in the club at the time and they went on to beat uh, Leicester 2-1 reigning champions Leicester at the time 2-1 with two bicycle kicks if you remember that was kind of the um, 
the yeah. big feature of one of their goals. And uh, Mike Field ended up with Manager of the Month um, for his first that first <laughs> month um, of that particular season with a whole squad that was being put together with Band-Aids. And then Newcastle last season as well. I think an awful lot of us fancied them to be an- annihilated pretty much in the Premier League under Steve Bruce last season. And they actually started quite well in the end. They were certainly not the, the whipping boys that we expected. So I think you've definitely made a good point on that, Lee, that is, you know, don't necessarily put all your eggs in the target the whipping boys basket early on for sure yeah don't don't assume they're going to be whipping whipping boys i think we're all sitting here saying well you know and i think the stats you reeled out tom absolutely right you know we're all expecting fulham to be whipping boys this season uh, maybe even from game week one and we're all targeted a bamyang and all rightly so but listen if, if fulham you know fulham said they're at home they're at craven cottage they're not going to want to get battered against arsenal first game of the season yeah, maybe maybe they just put in a bit of a stoic performance. I mean, they've got absolute legends like Tim Ream in at centre half there, so uh, and Joe Bryan on the side. So uh, you, you never know. You never know. Don't assume that they're going to be whipping boys. What I, what the point I was making before was that I, I like I like that whipping boys um, unwritten rule. Once we've got the data to not prove, but to far more positively suggest that they are whipping boys. Right now in game week one, we don't know who's going to get battered. Somebody will get battered, but we don't know who's I feel like it's more of a post-Christmas rule, that people look at it more post-Christmas. Probably, yeah. Let's get a bit away through the season, and then we've got some data. I mean, what, we're going to have like 16 game weeks or something under our belts by then. We're going to know um, who are the teams that are likely to be relegated, and they were sitting in that kind of bracket where they might be getting battered each week and, and we'll have a bit more consistency because if you'd have looked at Norwich at the start of the season, you wouldn't necessarily have thought that they were going to end up in the situation that, that they ended up in yeah. and by the end. So yes, I think it's, it's useful. It's a useful bit of information, particularly in those final game weeks of the season, but it's not something I would hang my hat on early on. Oh, no, I think that certainly makes sense. And I think after a while, you get that sort of ex-whip data um, that's created after a little while, right? And you're able to then assess, you know, right, well, these guys are just have looked really bad for the last few weeks. So maybe, you know, if I can plot a course to kind of have caps in my midfielder and caps my striker and caps another midfielder against them for the next three weeks and, and brilliant. But I think it just seems like for how much we agree with this one that we've all come down the side of it's it's a factor, um, but maybe not a factor that we're, we're going to make decisions on until a little bit later in the season, but always something to be born in mind nonetheless. Um, I think we'll take a break here, um, but just to kind of remind you, it sounds like we've gone for f- form over fixtures, the first rule, that it depends on how much you spent on the player. Uh, captain obvious, yes. Absolutely yes. And don't, don't, say, don't say it's rubbish. You know, don't get negative about it. it. It's fine to do the obvious thing. Nothing wrong with that. And target whipping boys, yeah, an interesting thing to do. Maybe not the deciding factor early on in the season but later on in the season maybe something to be uh, really thought about but always something to be borne in mind of course right let's take a break there and we'll move on to the final two rules after that who got the assist who got the assist Hello, so we're back and we're ploughing through these rules. We're on to rule number four of the five now and examining whether, you know, we really believe them and how much we believe them, I suppose. And uh, the next one is one that Neil Murray actually mentioned last year when he said it was more of a pithy point that he made. And in his voice, he said, information is more important than 0.1 million. And uh, I think the reality is that it's kind of more about managing the market and kind of not doing those early moves. I think in the past, 
long-term listeners will know this idea of the Austin rule. This comes from the 2016-17 season, the year before WGTA, when Nick and I both bought Charlie Austin, then of Southampton fame. Um, I think we bought him on a, on a Saturday night because he was rising. We'd both be priced out. I think he was playing a Jerusalem team or something in midweek. Um, and on WhatsApp, I remember we were saying, he's, he's not going to play, we'll be all right. And of course, he did play. Uh, dislocated his shoulder and was out for ages. So we both had to take Gosh. minus fours to sell him. In my case, I'd taken a hit. So I actually paid eight points for a player who figured never set foot on the pitch for me and that's always kind of stuck in my head as, as an anecdote so that's the Austin rule um, and I think that that's kind of where this sort of information is more important than 0.1 million comes from. Uh, Anthony what do you reckon to that? Is that something that you know in terms of managing the market you'd subscribe to? So in past seasons this definitely wasn't something that I was too into. I was always thinking I'll make my transfers late, I'll look at what the team talks say, I'll get all of the information together and then at the end of the season, I miss out on a premium player because team value has gone away from me and everybody seems to have at least two, three, four million more to spend than me. And the differences can be absolutely massive. Um, I, I've very usefully looked through Luke Wilson's article on Fantasy Football Hub. It just came out in the last week. And it's, it's a really interesting article that kind of looks at this whole entire area. And Luke found last season ended up with a six million value advantage versus the average team, which had a value of 102 by game week 12. So that's the difference in this season's terms of between a San Maximan and a KDB or a Sterling by game week 12 in team value. It's, it's absolutely massive that what you can do. And he reckons that that was an advantage of about 60 points if you broke that down statistically. So really what I think you need to do is that information is more important than 0.1 million when you have your squad together later in the season. But when the prices are so volatile, especially early in the season, uh, Luke found that between game weeks three and six, you're talking about about 100 price changes per week on average. It's still pretty active in seven to 12. After game week 13, Nah, there's barely any price changes. There's 30 to 40 changes per week. But really the thing you need to work on is it's not so much about trying to get the price rises. It's about avoiding the price falls because there's about a four to one ratio in falls to rises in that early part of the season. So really for me, it's like the information is more important than 0.1 for sure. But when the... like. I'm not going to prioritize that when that player is falling in value because it's going to cost me later on the season. And every year it has cost me before now, and I'm not going to let it happen again. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. I think there's a, there's certainly a lot of um, price rise chasing that goes on. And I, and I don't, I don't subscribe to that, but I do subscribe to uh, price drop avoiding. I, t- I totally agree with that. And, and you're right at the beginning of the season, it's so volatile um, you know, you can easily get a 0.1 swing either way, but it is so it's so annoying when you get that 0.1 disappearing off of you know you lose that 0.1. I'm, I'm not too I'm not too worried about gaining the 0.1. I think I would much rather have the information than gaining that 0.1. I think similar to you, uh, Anthony. I think if I go back to when I played it, I used to play the game a long time ago. I did used to put a lot of effort into team value and I would sit there sort of halfway through the season and have a really, you know, an, an amazing team value and a pretty average overall rank, frankly. Um, but then my, my FPL history is pretty good. So I must have used that team value to good effect then in mm-hmm. the second half of the season, which I think is the point you're making. Um, so to answer the question about, you know, in terms of the unwritten rules, I, I, I am more of the opinion that I will wait for information now. 
particularly if I'm, I've got a lot of bit heavy hitters in my team, particularly if I'm pretty happy with my team, particularly if I've got my eyes on a particular captain that game week, I will wait for the European games to be over. I will wait for the press conferences to be over. And I will wait until I've got all the information from all the different podcasts and stuff that I will listen to throughout the week. And then I will make my decision on a Friday stroke a Saturday morning and I'll make my switch. Um, unless I feel really compelled to do something and I really feel like that's going to, you know, that player's going to go up 0.3 that game week and I don't want to miss out on a 0.2 or a 0.3 rise. Um, maybe then I'll, I'll, I'll go early, but more often than not, I will wait for the information and only go early if it means avoiding a drop. Are you, are you the same? You subscribe to the same sort of yeah. thinking? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, team value for me is absolutely critical to success in FPL. And I know that not everyone subscribes to that, but I very much do. I'm very much driven by building that team value and having as much money to play with as possible as the double game weeks and the blank game weeks come around. And as we start to see the kind of the, the real kind of fly of the big hitters, which tends to happen later and they get into the swing of it and, and there's kind of bigger games coming there's you know stuff on them you're going to be chasing um, the 0.1s then at the beginning uh, of the season? no so I, I wouldn't have said that i chase them no okay. i think that what i i keep an eye on them and you know one of the things for me that's always key is that i like to roll my transfer every other week so that i've always got two so that there's always stuff there's always an ability to make these transfers and get on the right players without taking any hits um so I will look at, and it does come into my thinking, if I'm looking at whatever what the team value is doing, it comes into my thought process as to if there's a player I particularly want and he's going to take a rise and therefore I'm not going to be able to afford him, I will do it early. Um, I'm not opposed to doing it early, but yeah, I would rather wait it out. But I really watch the team value. But as you've said, the price drop, for me, that is absolutely something that I just... I can't stick it, it. It really, really hurts you to lose money, particularly in your cheaper players. It's one of the reasons I'm yeah. kind of a bit uneasy about Suchek this season because the West Ham fixtures are so difficult that he could be one of those players that we're all on, high ownership, because he looks like he's going to be promising. And then if he doesn't perform for eight game weeks... Or West Ham don't perform what's the Yeah, yeah. People yeah. yeah. get off of him and then we're going to be having, you know, minus 2.2, minus 0.3 in our teams, which is absolute nightmare when you're trying to then replace him with somebody else. Equally, when the West Ham fixtures improve, you can pick him up for 4.7, 4.8, you're laughing. Yeah, absolutely. But you don't want to lose that man. <laughs> yeah, you want to avoid that. You yeah, want yeah. to avoid that, yeah. yeah. I think 0.1 losing that at the start it really can feel like 0.5 and it can really yeah. snooky you can't it i think it's interesting what you said about it being critical to success in fpl sam because i think it really depends on the season to some extent i remember kind of the leicester title season for example when maras was 5.5 vardy was 8 fuchs was 4.5 and you could buy ali kane and ericsson i think it was for 30 million and that was you know the backbone of your team but this year i think you're I think it's going to be really important. Um, you have lots of you know, these really high-performing premiums. And if you're able to kind of get that extra 1.0, as Stag mentioned, suddenly you're in a position where you can fit in one extra premium over other people. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? I think the one bit of real politique that's worth throwing in here, though, is coronavirus and coronavirus lurking. And you know, we've just seen that David Silva's been a, a diagnosed of it tonight, for example. That's still lurking in the background. And maybe that's a bit of a wildcard factor in some ways as well. Because, I mean, if you've made an early move to try 
tried to avoid 0.1 and brought someone in and suddenly it turns out that they're kind of you know out and I think this is going to become a regular occurrence and a fairly normal thing where you will find that there's a doubt over a player due to them or a fan member or something like that I mean could that mean that patience and maximizing information is actually very useful this year and very important this year despite the fact with all the caveats in terms of losing value like surely it's better to be losing value than having to take a minus four because you've brought a player in who then is ruled out um, for reasons that are fairly obvious with the current context. To tag on to that, actually, Tom, there's there's definitely been a greater number of positive tests across Europe's top five leagues as teams have returned to pre-season training. And of course, part of that is the fact that players have been away on holidays and things. But I think you're going to find that you know the controlled bubble that we had for or that the players lived in for Project Restart, that's not really a, a viable thing for the next 12 months or so for the season. They are going to be you know out in the open, in public, uh, traveling a bit more than they were during Project Restart. So the chances of positive tests is definitely increased. Like we, we, the Premier League was astounding really in how they managed to avoid positive tests for the whole of Project Restart. I don't think yeah. you can use that as your... Um, example, let's say, when you're considering the impact of coronavirus in the coming season. I think I think you're spot on with the travel as well, right? The players are going to be not just travelling domestically, but some of them will be travelling internationally as well. They'll be on planes, etc., etc. In other I mean, they'll be allowed to travel, shortly. and they'll be allowed to go at weekends a little bit more than they were as well, just out into the open. You know, when they have yeah. a bit of free time. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you're right, Sam. I mean, these guys will be travelling in uh, fairly... They're not going Ryanair. They're not going Ryanair, are they? Yeah, absolutely right. Nothing wrong with Ryanair, by the way, Stag or, or Tessa. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and but... it's, it's, it's those departures lounge where the danger is, guys. <laughs> Don't blame Ryanair. <laughs> we're definitely not blaming Ryanair. But I, th- I think that's a fabulous point that Tom makes there. Absolutely fabulous. Because, you know, if a player that's in your FPL team, uh, you know, hobbles off holding his hamstring on a Saturday pretty good chance you're going to want to take him out early doors and beat the drops and all the rest of it. But, you know, if, if Pogba starts coughing on a Friday night <laughs> and half of Man United are, you know, are out Saturday morning and you don't know about it until the team sheet drops... But even if it's a cough, hard, right? this is the thing, even if it's a cough and it's not a positive test, precaution-wise, that's it. You know, he's not going whatever player. It's like if they have a cough, usually it's like, oh, whatever, he has the flu, he can play through it. Whereas now it's going to be, okay, you're showing any sign of symptoms whatsoever. We need to keep you away so that you don't infect half a squad and we have to miss fixtures because, you know, the, the calendar is congested enough as it is. So they need to do everything they can to try and avoid having a whole squad taken out. This has already happened in Scotland, hasn't it? With, uh, is it Aberdeen and, Bo- and Celtic have both had to have fixtures missed because of a number of players. Yeah, well, they went, down, they went down the pub, didn't they? The Aberdeen players, they yeah. were out out with yeah, Weatherspoons yeah, on a yeah. Friday night. <laughs> so you've got to be hoping the Premier League players, with respect to Aberdeen players, they're a little bit more visible within the Premier League. So I'm guessing they're probably going to be all right. I'm sorry, Aberdeen fans, but that's just the case. Um, any any complaints, FPL stag. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think, um, I think it, it sounds like, I mean, I guess, Sam, you were very behind kind of looking at value. Does the kind of stuff with, with what's going on now affect your view then in any way? I spent a long time discussing this on our um, Ohana podcast on on Friday last week. And and actually, I think that for me, coronavirus adds a whole new element to FPL. And it's something that we as FPL managers haven't had to deal with historically, because as you said, during Project Restart, obviously it was there, but the level of testing and the way that, you know, the rest of the country was still pretty locked down at that point that that was happening. So it wasn't moving quite as freely through society as it is currently. Now, we're not going to, with the movement of the deadlines, we're not going to get um, knowledge of players missing out through coronavirus necessarily. 
ahead of the game. So it might just be that we hear that so somebody is, is not there today because they have, as Dag says, they have some symptoms or they, you know, I think if they've got a positive test, we'll probably likely hear that in advance. But symptoms wise, you know, you never know. You wake up. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I've had it. I woke up one morning, felt okay within an hour. I felt absolutely joyful and then didn't recover for six weeks. Now, obviously, these Premier League players are a hell of a lot fitter than I am and therefore will not take six weeks to recover from it, but they will still have to have two weeks in, in quarantine if they're showing symptoms and, and, and the like. So it is going to have a massive impact on us as FPL managers and it is something that we need to be aware of and it's something that I think could hurt you if you are a early transfer maker well, going into the season. I mean, one of the things I've seen on Twitter and everywhere else, I've seen a lot of drafts where we see this at the beginning of every season, guys, don't we? And I'm guilty of it as well. You want, you know, you want all the big players. So what do you do? You go and get bench fodder. You go and get yeah. your Keenan Davis. You get your two four point You that, can't do that. That is going to be a um, a dangerous tactic this season mm. because if you've got a, a bunch of non-playing bench options. It's a risk, isn't it? Because it is, one, it is more of a risk this season than it was than it has been in previous seasons. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah agree. nightmare. Uh, absolutely. And I think we'll, I think I think we said on the kind of a couple of pods ago that we'll see, I think we'll see more net hits, so more hits overall this year because people yes. will be reacting to this sort of thing as well. It, it does sound like kind of from being initially quite aggressive in terms of team value that we've kind of come back a little bit and kind of thinking, well, maybe not one is a bit less important than information because I think this year when we've been speaking about Corona a little bit more, I think it. I think it, it it means it's going to be sensible to be patient. That's for sure. But who knows whether we're all going to be able to be patient? I think the first thing you you'll see kind of after game week one when you'll find kind of a couple of random players do well, but there's going to be a huge scramble to to buy the guy who comes in, especially the first couple of weeks. Everything's driven by your less engaged manager who's not going to be around come game week ten. Um, mm. Being able to either manage your reaction to that or reacting to that and making money is going to be a really kind of difficult decision for a lot of people to make, especially with everything that we've said um, in mind, right? Um, and losing that 0.1, I think, will still be a killer. I think it would just be the case people are going to have to manage it either through taking hits or just kind of accepting, you know what, all right, I'm Tyreek Mitchell is going to go down to 3.9. I'm just going to hope for the best going forward. Cool. All right, uh, let's move on to the final one. And this is kind of a bit of a, a bit more of a managing yourself sort of point. Turn this, don't leave your decisions till the last minute. I've seen this bit of advice given out so many times. Um, but I think it's more of a question really too. Like how do you guys and when do you guys make decisions? Do you do it quickly? Do you get out of the way? Or you know, are you trying to leave it till Friday PM we've got all the information and uh, Lee, you mentioned that, you know, you've heard all your podcasts and read all your things, et cetera, et cetera. When do you kind of decide, right, this is what I'm going to do? And do, do we think that you know, we shouldn't do that last minute? So I think it depends on your definition of last minute. So for me, I like to have an idea of where I'm going and then I wait for, I mean, particularly this season, we're going to have a hell of a lot of games in midweek where we're trying to fit in League Cup, FA Cup, Champions League, Europa League. All of those things are going to kind of be squidged into midweek fixtures, you would imagine, because we've got a shorter season um, for the rest of the Premier League games to go in. So I think we're going to see a lot more midweek action, not necessarily FPL action, but a lot more of that. And therefore, it's going to be important to kind of wait a bit to make sure that your players make it through in terms of injuries, as you were talking about earlier with, with you know, your Austin theory. Um, so for me, I am I like to have an idea in my head at the beginning of the week as to what I want to do. And then I will wait until Thursday, Friday of the week and I'll make that transfer towards the back end of the week but i will never ever make a transfer on deadline day you're quite superstitious about very that, much aren't you? So. yeah on the on the day 
no changes. It never goes well. It I'm just never goes well. <laughs> exactly the same. Leave it I, Friday I, night. I'm done. That's it. I'm locked yeah. on Friday night. And on Saturday morning, I don't look at my team. I'm just no, like, yeah, left it. unless there's a and, leak, which is not going to happen this year. <laughs> and it because it panics me. And I and what ends up happening is I get myself into a state about you know is it the right thing to do? And then I feel stressed because the deadline's coming, and I'm just like I always make the wrong call and I take out the wrong player. Um, or I bring in the wrong player. Whereas if I make it on a Friday night, I know that I can kind of put my phone away, go to bed, knowing that I'm set for Saturday. I don't have to look at it, don't have to think about it, and we're good to go for the game week. Um, so that's it's always been a rule of mine. Um, since we started FPL Family, it's, it's always been a rule. I think I've broken it maybe twice um, the whole time. Yeah, it just it just it's not worth the stress to me. So I'm going to leave it late, <laughs> but not deadline day kind of girl. That's really interesting. Like I actually found, so last year I was uh, for most of the season living one hour ahead. And so that meant that getting up on a Saturday morning, especially after a Friday night was kind of difficult. So <laughs> the, the easiest thing to do was to set up on a Friday and leave it. But kind of countering that there was, you know, the midweek fixtures and that, that's always, you know, training midweek, etc. injuries. You're always fearing that. But of course the in the nose became such a big deal as last season progressed that there was kind of, it almost felt impossible to not make changes on the final day. So I would end up making my decision on the Friday, but not pulling the trigger until the Saturday. And I think like, even if we don't have in the nose, I think just the fact that I, I suspect the in the nose won't be around, but maybe the COVID-19 positive tests or people who are suddenly self-isolating on a Friday um, is going to become a factor that we're going to end up considering. And so I think just for various reasons, I'll again end up being a make my transfer on the Saturday type. I no, I'm not leaving the decision to the last minute, but I am leaving the pull of the trigger to the very last minute and often ending up making a totally different decision at the last minute because of some other extraneous detail. I'm, I'm, I'm the same as you, Stag, I think. I'm, I'm happy to make changes on, on deadline day, on the day itself, unlike, unlike you and Tom are, Sam. But at the same time, I, I'm, I've made my mind up by the Friday. It's just that I just like to have the Friday uh, to maybe sleep on it and then I'll, I remember, and then I'll be able to wake up on Saturday like, yeah, I just, definitely that's what I'm going to do. I remember driving to St Mary's with you last season and, and talking you into double Sheffield United defence because <laughs> I had double and you had none. And I remember talking you into bringing in Lundstrom and I did the transfer for you because you were driving. Oh, you should have done something else, Sam. I should <laughs> have, should have. I should have. I should have totally just got some rogue yeah, element. Not Norwich centre-backs coming in. But, <laughs> but I remember doing this and I remember thinking at the time, gosh, this is the total difference between Lee and I and the way that we manage our FPL life because you you were happy to make that kind of last-minute decision. Um, it didn't cause you any stress for me. That would have been that's absolute not, that's, panic. That's not, that's Sam, not would, would you, Sam, would you allow Lee change your team for you if oh, you were no, driving? Of course not. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. There's, there's another difference in how you manage. So <laughs> she wouldn't have been three k last year if that was the case. Yeah. Been like three mil. Um, <laughs> uh, but so the point I was going to make is that I'm, it's not. A, I'm not making the decision on Saturday. I'm just. I'm just executing the decision on the Saturday. Mm. I've already made my decision, yeah, I think, I on Friday. So, yeah. I just don't do it until the Saturday. Unless, guys, there's a 0.1 in it. If, I, if there's a price rise that I'm yeah. going to miss by leaving it Saturday, then I'm pretty happy um, to make it on the Friday. So mm. I go back to the point you made before, Tom. I'm very happy to wait for the information, listen to all the podcasts that I listen to, um, know what I'm going to do by Friday night, ready to execute on the Saturday. That's a typical FPL week for me. 
Yeah, no, that's absolutely. And I think I think we've really been talking about transfers here, haven't we, rather than captains. But I think True, in terms yeah. of the transfers per week. I mean, what I'll do is I'll, I'll kind of write down. I've, I've even got like a notepad on my on my laptop of the initial take. I do it every week after the games have finished. What I think I'm going to do. That's old school, Tom. I know. Pen and paper. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll write it down. I'll challenge it during the week. I listen to the podcast and things. So maybe I'm a bit more aligned with you, Lee. Even though I don't want to make that move on the Saturday morning, I want to do that on the Friday, and I leave it because I've had so many last minute decisions on Saturdays that have just backfired in my face almost spectacularly, and I, I just don't want to do that ever again. So. Yeah, Friday's good, Saturday morning. And you know what it's like on Saturday morning, you know, and everyone's kind of tweeting, everything's going mad. And if you're making a decision when you're all kind of like, oh my God, oh my God, you know, oh, this is happening, this is happening, this is a bit news, that's up, news, what do I do, what do I do? That's bad. If you're doing it on Friday night, it's all cool, you know, it's all quiet. Good, perfect. Um, in terms of trans- uh, captains then, so that if, if that's kind of transfers, what do we do there? Is it still the case of kind of going for all of your kind of uh, your pods and stuff, or is it, uh, or, or is that kind of something that moves around a bit more? I mean, I'm I'm sort of person, and maybe I shouldn't be next year, as we discussed earlier on, for whom the captain did move around a lot during the week, be it what I read, what I heard, um, and my initial decision a lot of the time actually did change to something else based on perceived ownership, based on you know the market, uh, and obviously based on other people's analysis. And I don't know. I'm interested to hear what do you guys what do you guys do with the captain? Does that change? Does that work in the same way? Well, I think for me, I kind of go back to our um, unwritten rule number two, which is the captain obvious, and and I think. Certainly, I think between us, we came to the general consensus that, you know, you you do captain the obvious player. So from that perspective, when the deadline passes and I'm setting my team up for the following game week, I will tend to go to the obvious captain based on either a form or a fixture. So I I actually would, no, I wouldn't say that my captain changes a lot necessarily throughout the course of the week. If, um, you know, if I hear something or obviously an injury, then I'll change it. Um, you know, if there's a performance in, in you know Europe that I think actually, you know, there's a big hitter there that performed really well, so maybe he's coming into a bit of form come the weekend. Maybe that influences my thinking. But to be honest, I don't know about you, but for me, I'll tend to stick with whichever captain is my gut feel captain mm. when I'm setting my team up for the, for the forthcoming game week. Yeah, I don't move my captain armband. I set it up on unless it's unless I'm going to captain the player that I'm bringing in at the end of the week, and then that's obviously a different matter entirely. I think but, it's a transfer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I make my decision on who's going to be my captain for next week, probably before we've even live streamed on that Sunday night at the end mm. of the game week. Like it, 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 I already know who's going to be my captain, so it go the armband goes there, and it very, very rarely moves because. I always find that if I move the armband, that's another thing that just it always oh. backfires because you move it and then you're guaranteed, right, that the guy you've taken it off of is going to do something. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, always put put an armband on a guy and leave it there and he can keep it until the following Sunday and I'll, I'll move it again. I think there's always a sort of superstitious side of FPL as well. I'm I'm like that where I just be like, oh god, you know, all right, we've I've come this far. It's now Wednesday afternoon. If I change the change the captaincy now, it's all over. He's gonna, yeah. you know, <laughs> my new captain's gonna blank, and uh, the other guy's gonna absolutely smash it. Um, and you know, I, on the same deadline day stuff, I, I'm, I, as I've said, I'm never gonna touch it. I mean, in terms of superstitions as well, probably a nice little, uh, nice little kind of sidebar here. There are a couple of things I do during the course of the season, which maybe maybe playing weird, maybe not. Uh, one thing I don't do is I don't look at live FPL data after 60 minutes in the game. 
because oh, I've got clean no, sheets and stuff. Yeah, I just don't, don't do want to see what I could have won. I just <laughs> no. don't want to know the amount of times that you've got, oh my God, I've got nine points for the goalkeeper, the central defender's on 12, and then they concede. They get a red card or whatever. And you're like, oh, okay, I've got a 50 point game week where I was looking at a 70 and a huge green arrow. Um, are there any superstitions you guys sort of adhere to or weird little things that you do during a week? Um, so I've got the ones I've already spoken about in terms of don't make transfers on deadline day. I won't leave my captain's armband. I'm the total opposite with you, by the way, um, when it comes to live FPL. I am all over live FPL. You love it, don't Literally, you? Literally, within a... I'm on it. And then you tell it. me what points I'm going to get. I'm like, no, I don't want to know. <laughs> I'm on it all tell the time. Me. I'm literally on it all the time. And I mean, I'll probably check it 30 times on a Saturday. Like, I'm constantly on it. Um because I'm, it's not so much about what my players are doing, but I'm, I, I, I can't find it really fascinating to see to watch the impact that other players' scoring has on my rank. Um, in terms of like, particularly if they're a differential, I kind of that find that really fascinating because it can helps me plan for well, okay, that guy's had no, he's done really well, but he's had no impact on my rank, so he's someone I look at. But I don't think I've got any other major superstitions. Um, you don't have anything against. Uh early game captains or Monday night captains? I don't really like an early game captain just simply because you spend the whole ruins, weekend annoyed. It ruins my fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I'm, I won't not captain somebody because they've got an early game, like a captain Timonez this year, a couple of times in the early lunchtime kickoffs. There'll be plenty of people captain a Bamiang um, in game week one this season playing in the early game week. So that's no, I'm, I'm all right with that. Do you know what? Towards the end of last season, I, this is, this is, um, it will give you some insight into how the, my season petered out, frankly, at the back end of last year. Um, I really liked the feeling of hope. I really liked captaining a player <laughs> in the last game of the week oh, because I was just like, right, well, if I'm having a bad game week, doesn't matter because left. my captain's going to come through and smash it in the last yeah. game and that's going to, and he's going to get a hat trick and stuff. And you sit there, watch the, you know, 4.30 game on a Sunday, whatever it is, just sitting in hope, guys. That's, mm. basically, yeah. that's basically, in summary, how my game week 30 to 38 went at the back end of last season. It was it was hope and picking, you know, the captain based on the fact that you just thought that, yes, it could just happen for you. But I don't think you're a particularly Sad, superstitious manager, though, are you, really? That's more me. I'm the more superstitious one of the two of us. I, I, don't, I don't have any real superstitions. No, that hope thing was really just... I don't do that at the beginning of the season. My, my hope is, you know, I'm going to win FPL at the end of the season, so I'm playing <laughs> But coming the end of the season last year, I was like, yeah, I just uh, let's just go with the player. That Living on the prayer, you were very much so. Yes, very much so. I mean, the other thing I the other thing I do do as well is that I, before every game week, I'll uh, look through the fixture list and kind of think, all right, what days do I want to be busy? Uh, you know, on Sunday, maybe you'll have like the, the lunchtime fixture, then you'll have a 2.15 uh, or whatever it is. And you, you don't have any players in those games. So that's the day when I say to my other half, do you want to go out or do you want to go and do something? Should we, should we watch something together? So I don't have to look at my team and I come back and be like, oh, God, you know, blah, blah, score. I didn't have him and I was hoping he'd do nothing. Um, mm. And the other sad thing that I'm going to I'm going to admit to now is that on Friday night, I will think about my teams. I'm going to bed and I'll tot up a point score in my head before I think I'm going to get yeah, nice. yeah. I tell you one thing uh, I have just thought of that I do. If I'm going, if I'm going to a game, I have to captain a player that's from that game, whether it means I have to bring. That's them in understandable. Or not. So, like, it's you only ever got the Spurs game. Well, no, you because, the Spurs no, I did it last year, didn't I? When I went to St Mary's to 
watched Liverpool. Um, oh, that's true, you did. Our you? captain Salah in that game, um, and actually, I didn't necessarily think that he was the best player to captain. And I go to Spurs all the time. I never think they're the best options for captains, <laughs> but I captain one of them just because I feel like if I'm there, I should I should have my armband on somebody that I'm going to be watching. So that's that's another thing that I always do. So yeah, it's better not go watch yourself, any. Um, to be able to avoid going to Spurs games. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, I, if I suddenly find myself like after the when the fans are allowed back in at Fulham versus West Brom, then I'll uh, I've got a problem. Haven't Captain I? <laughs> Mitrovic, get in. <laughs> All right, excellent, excellent. So, in terms of uh, I guess the overall thing, we've come to the end. I think. Um, how much do we believe these unwritten rules of FPL? First, we spoke, spoke about form over fixtures, and I think it was down to down to money, wasn't it? How much you're spending on that player with the likes of you know a five point five million hero uh, exempts a little bit. Captain obvious, we'll suggest. And I think that that's really boring, but probably is going to be true. And I'm going to be trying to adopt that 100% this year because it's more fun to get the 30 points that everybody else gets rather than getting two points while everyone else gets 30 points. <laughs> guys, um, Target the whipping boys, I think interesting. Um, I think it was definitely a factor and it was a factor that gained prominence over the course of the season. In the beginning, it's about getting it right to some extent, but it sounds like it's kind of a thing you think about rather than the thing. 0.1 million more important information. Coronavirus may mean it's... Uh, Sensible to be patient, though who knows if we're all going to be able to be. Losing that 0.1 is a bit of a snooker. And don't make decisions at the last minute. It doesn't sound like we do in general, actually. It sounds like we all think about our decisions throughout the course of the weekend. Of course we do, because we're all FPL content providers. Um, But I think that um, it sounds like we've made our decision, and it's just when you execute that decision. It sounds like we're not kind of the sort of people who do make panic moves, unless you're Lee and you're driving to St. Mary's and it sounds like a decision. But you let me do it. That <laughs> yeah. went well. I think you should let me do them more often, to be fair. That probably was the best one of the season. Lundstrom, yeah. Lundstrom. Rule number six, delegate all decisions to my other half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you just play FPL for me this year? That'd be great. Yeah, oh. <laughs> and one question, actually, for you all, an unwritten rule. If Lionel Messi comes into the Premier League are you auto buying him? Yes or no? Hundred percent, straight in. Take yeah. all my money. <laughs> when he's uh, when he's when he's going to depends be on price. Fourteen point oh. Do you do it? No. You will. What? You're, no, you're a liar. No you're a wild card to get him in. Hundred <laughs> percent. You hundred percent no. buy me. I think it's captain obvious, isn't it? I mean, if if he takes all variants out of it, you just captain every week. Why yeah, not? he'd be a public service, really. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I would love to see the answer to the question: Can he do it in the Premier League? But the fact, but but the the I want a Tuesday night in Stoke in the FA Cup fourth round. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But the fact there's that the fact I have that question in my head: Can he do it in the Premier League? Means. I cannot spend 40 million on a minute. It means you haven't been watching enough Champions League or La Liga for the last 15 years. <laughs> I've watched plenty of Champions League when he came to Anfield and he was not 14 million there, uh, Stag, I can tell you. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> anyway, I think that rounds off the pod. So we were who got the assist. Thanks so much for listening. If you're a new listener and you enjoyed the pod this week, don't forget to subscribe and you'll be able to listen to us all season long. Uh, sadly, though, we won't be joined by Lee and Sam every week, but you can check them out at FPL Family on Twitter and of course on YouTube, Instagram, and wherever else you consume your Bonfield goodness. Thanks again for coming on, guys. <laughs> Thanks Bonfield for having goodness. us. I love it. Thanks for having us, guys. Really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for coming on as always. Hopefully we'll get a drink in the diary sometime soon. Always a pleasure. Um, we'll be back next week for our final preseason pod discussing early door strategies. Hopefully joined by the dulcet tones of Nick. But yeah, I guess in the meantime, I hope this assisted you figure out rules to live by for the season ahead. Speak to you soon. Sloan. 
That was, that was, that was really good, guys. Thank you. Um, oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.